0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of Neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. After four years, two hosts, and 65 episodes of the Today podcast, we are widening the scope of our show to provide listeners with more diverse insights from across the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry. In an increasingly multi-chain world, Blockchain is a rich tapestry of networks, projects, and advocates, all contributing in their own way to bring the smart economy to life. In many ways, the biggest issues of today are agnostic and are not confined to any particular chain or technology. Questions of regulatory compliance, consumer or national adoption, DAO governance, financial access to all, privacy, security, these topics, and many more are applicable to all who wish to see the blockchain industry grow. Regular listeners of the NNT pod can still expect to hear insightful discussions with thought leaders and builders from within the NEO ecosystem. However, you'll also be introduced to many interesting guests from the wider blockchain industry, and we're confident you will enjoy learning from what they have to share. We're aiming to release episodes of the Smart Economy podcast in mini-series that focus on single topics, but explore them from a range of different perspectives. Our first series concentrates on decentralized autonomous organizations. Each of our guests from the first four episodes have participated in DAOs in varying ways. Our first guest is the pseudonymous John Shapeshift, who I'll introduce in a moment. In future episodes, you will also hear from Gil Machado and Claude Mueller, longtime developers in the Neo ecosystem, who recently built the infrastructure for Grant Chairs, a DAO for distributing neo funding. You'll also hear from Yev Mushnik, a lawyer based in Colorado, who helps incorporate DAOs internationally and is an active member in unique humanitarian and employee benefits DAOs. And you'll also hear from Andrew Redden, an Ethereum developer and founding member of PleaserDAO, a collective of individuals who purchase and preserve unique artifacts of cultural relevance. This series digs deep into each person's background and their various experiences participating in DAOs. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that our host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, enjoy the Smart Economy Podcast DAO Series. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is part of the inaugural series focusing on decentralized autonomous organizations, better known as DAOs. DAOs can take different forms around unique causes, and this series highlights that by talking with some of the best minds in the space. In this episode, I chat with John Shapeshift, the co-founder and former COO of the Shapeshift Decentralized Exchange. Last year, the company made relatively groundbreaking news when they announced plans to shut down the company's corporate structure and replace it with a DAO. In this conversation, John and I discuss Shapeshift's background his lessons learned over the years, how the team chose the technology to build upon, and DAO governance and communication processes. I really enjoyed this conversation with John, and I hope you will too. John, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. You are our first guest since rebranding from the previous episode, the show, which was called Neo News Today Podcast. So welcome and thank you for joining.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: We've hung out in person before, but I don't know if I've ever shared the story with you that the whole reason I write for NEO News today and I'm in the space right now is because I randomly traded Ethereum and Bitcoin for a bunch of coins on Shapeshift in 2017. And NEO was one of those coins and it opened up a rabbit hole after I downloaded it and stored it on a private wallet. So this is a really cool interview to have because it's coming full circle and shapeshift was kind of like my entrance into decentralized blockchain ecosystems
1: that's awesome yeah i haven't heard that story from you i've heard of a lot of people over the years who who got their first exposure not just to like some altcoin but to like crypto and bitcoin itself through shapeshift which is always interesting to hear that like that was their first entry point, particularly because when we were first building Shapeshift, we always saw it as like this is for people who already know what crypto is. And we were always surprised at the amount of people that came in that like it was like their first experience, because that was never really the design.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had just bought a ledger and I was opening it up. I like, I don't know if I should admit this, but I wrote my keep my seed phrase wrong. Many years later, I learned that before the hard way and um yeah i I swapped for Neo and stored it on a local wallet, and Neo has this dual chain token model where if you hold Neo, you get passively distributed gas, and I had no idea and seeing that little droplet of gas set me down a rabbit hole and uh a few months later, I was writing for the website I write for now, which has been almost four and a half years I've been writing for this website so Without sounding too cheesy or cliche, like if it wasn't for Shapeshift, I don't know if I'd be here today doing what I do now. So I'm really honored to be able to chat with you because Shapeshift has meant a lot to me in my crypto journey.
1: Well, that's great. And uh, I'm glad we helped you get down the rabbit hole. Something tells me you'd be here either way, but happy to take a little credit.
0: So just to give our listeners a little bit of background, we're migrating from a NeoFocus podcast to a more protocol and blockchain agnostic focused podcast. So suffice to say, our audience might not have ever heard of who you are or what Shapeshift is. So could you just give us the quick elevator pitch of why you started Shapeshift in 2014 and kind of what it was meant to be? And and then we'll we'll go a little further into what happened in recent years.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah. So my name is John. I am formerly the COO and CPO at Shapeshift um, and co-founder. We started Shapeshift, uh, Eric and I, uh, Eric he's back in 2014. And the original goal was to essentially just be like a vending machine for crypto to make it super easy to just put in one digital asset and get another one. Like what we were experiencing in the earth, like back in 2014, when crypto was really just Bitcoin at that time, Bitcoin and a few other coins, is that if you wanted to get one of these other digital assets, it could be a really kind of annoying, lengthy, frictionful process. And we kind of had the realization of these are all digitally native assets. This shouldn't be that hard. It should be as simple as I just send one and receive the other and nothing else. And all you should need is your wallet. So we built a service based around that. And we got a little bit of you know great feedback and traction in those early days. And then it really started to blow up kind of mid to late 2016 into early 2017, especially when Ethereum launched. And that really opened up You know, a whole new world of interesting other crypto assets that before then hadn't existed. You know, there were some before then, but Ethereum definitely kind of brought that more to mainstream attention or maybe not even mainstream. It's not the right word. More to even just crypto people's attention. Because Before that, really, most people just cared about Bitcoin. So we made it easy to swap from one digital asset to another and do that really easily and do it all in a non-custodial way without ever holding users' funds. Because our other inspiration at the time is we kind of built this thing in the in the wake of the Mt. Gox hat. And it was a stark reminder early on in crypto about why, you know, crypto empowers you to hold your own keys and trusting your assets to a centralized party, such as a centralized exchange, could be very dangerous. Um, Mt. Gox was a prime example of that. And then that was, you know, another reason that we built Shapeshift as is we wanted to demonstrate if you were building natively with crypto in mind that you could build things that you couldn't build in the traditional space or the traditional economy and you could build it in such a way that the company couldn't take the user's funds even if it wanted to and that was how we built everything so yeah that was kind of the early background and shapeshift you know existed for quite a while in that form up until uh last year where we I'm sure was. I'm sure we'll talk about. We decided to decentralize away the entire entity and, and become a DAO.
0: Before we jump into that though, you you've been around the blockchain and crypto space for eight years now. And I don't know if you can really condense this, what I'm about to ask you into three separate segments, but I just wanted to hear kind of maybe... If it's not your your insight into the industry, maybe just uh, how you guys were thinking about Shapeshift in these three different time periods. So the first being 2014 to 2017, like your launch to the ICO craze. And then 2018 to 2020, which was basically the bear market after the 2017 craze. And kind of when Shapeshift had to do a little reorganizing to make sure it was on the right side of the of, of any legal issues. And then from 2020 until today. So like what are maybe just high level insights into those three different timeframes uh, from your perspective?
1: Yeah, great. And I yeah, and I actually got involved in the crypto a little bit even before Shapeshift back in like twenty twelve. So it's been about a decade for me now, which is pretty crazy to say because a decade in crypto time makes me feel like an old man basically. Yeah, so that that's a good way to kind of break up those epochs. So I would say Shapeshift existed through multiple bear and bull cycles. I think we were kind of unique, and like we were one of the companies to really exist through multiple cycles. A lot of these companies, even today, even some of the big ones today, have not existed for more than like one full cycle. So it's definitely been an interesting perspective and vantage point about how things have changed over that time. So I would say in the kind of 2014 to let's say 2017 period. I'll kind of break it up like that. Like basically, pre pre twenty seventeen, crypto was really Bitcoin, and like our thesis at the time was just simply that Bitcoin is was at least at the time the most obvious, clear, important digital asset. It was one that was starting to gain some steam, and that was having things built around it. And and you know that's I'm probably most of us consider ourselves Bitcoiners, myself included. And crypto wasn't even really a term that anyone used. But at the same time, we kind of just became, started to become clear to us, at least to Eric and I, that there was going to be a world of multiple digital assets. We didn't know if there'd be 10 digital assets or a hundred or thousands, but the kind of thesis was there's going to be more than one and people are going to want to easily trade between them. And so we were kind of the first, one of the first to have That kind of multi-chain thesis of like there will be more than one blockchain there will be more than one digital asset people will want to change between them and that will be really important Um, that was well before multi-chain thesis was like a term in crypto now people talk about that a lot but back then i think a lot of people thought we were a little nuts and that was kind of our focus and so we were building during that time with that focus of just building for this world that where we thought the world was going for this world of multiple digital assets And, you know, we were gaining good traction, but we were still very small, just a couple people in a basement, basically a basement of our, you know, not, not like one of our basements, but our office was in the basement of an office building. And yeah, we were a small team building on this, having lots of fun, but, you know, building with very cutting edge crypto technology that was breaking all the time. So it was a lot of fun, but, you know, things didn't really get that crazy in that time. And that was just kind of our thesis that I think... Like I said before, late 2016 and kind of early 2017 kind of marks the next epoch. That was actually when we were doing our Series A fundraise. You know, we had done some, some earlier fundraising. Uh, you know, a lot of it was self-funded by Eric at the time. And then we did a seed round with, you know, a couple of early investors like DCG and things like that. But then we did a seed round, which was like our first big, sorry, our series A round, our first big actual raise for the company. And that happened we were working on that like all through the second half of 2016 it finally finalized in early 2017 but that was like a real slog like crypto companies were having a really hard time raising any sort of capital at that time not a ton of people especially in the vc space really believed in crypto it still seemed like this weird fringe thing so it didn't work that that well and we got a lot of no's we eventually found the right consortium of people to that actually wanted to invest in us, um, being led by Early Bird, a, a German VC fund, and we closed that round in early 2017. And at that time, we had these projections to our investors about like, oh, we think you know our volume will go like this. You know, maybe if we're lucky, we'll increase by you know 10, you know, month over month type of thing. Like relatively conservative but reasonable projections for like a growth stage company. And then like literally like a month after our Um, fundraise the you know ethereum had launched about six months before back in 2016 something like that and the 2017 bull run started to occur so that kind of shifted us into our next phase and instantly all of our projections were totally just destroyed as all of our volume started increasing shapeshift started getting really big and people started using it mainly because it was the main one of the easiest ways that you could get ethereum but a lot of people were getting really interested in Ethereum and the ICO craze was starting to happen and you need to do any of these things. So, um, And then we started adding some of these ERC-20 tokens. And so that really just started to blow things up and it started to be like, wow, our whole like multi-chain thesis thing, this like tokenized world that Ethereum brought us has really started to show us that we were, we were right on that and that people are starting to realize that and they need to use Shapeshift. And we were integrating into all sorts of wallets and all these sorts of things. And so that was a really crazy time where we grew massively fast, our volumes and our service. And we were trying to basically hold the ship together as things were buckling under the weight of this this giant scaling problem we were facing, both on the blockchain level, like the networks themselves needing to scale and our systems needing to scale. And that was really nuts. And we grew from less than 10 people at the beginning of 2017 to more than like 130 people by like the end of 2017, something like that. 120, I don't know. But it was it was just a massive growth. So that was that was kind of that epoch up till maybe mid-2018. Um, and then it became clear by the time we we're in mid-2018 that we were on the downtrend of one of these cycles. And even at this point, you know, so we're mid-2018, a lot of people had just got into crypto in 2017, but we at Shapeshift had already especially people like me and Eric who've been around, you can do shapeshift, we already seen something like three crypt bull cycles, bull bear cycles in Bitcoin at that time that had gotten increasingly more mainstream, but also less volatile over time, even though they were still very volatile at this time. And so we kind of saw the trend of where this was going and we, we knew we kind of basically needed to build through the bear market until whenever the next bull market was going to be. At the same time, we were dealing, the regulatory winds for shifting and we basically we went through our kind of next epoch at Shapeshift, which is where we had to implement KYC through after various many ways of paying lawyers millions of dollars to figure out what that what we needed to do here. That was unfortunate. It basically gutted the vast majority of our business, and we kind of had to build fresh through the through the bear cycle. And that even led to like early 2019. You know, after this huge growth, we had to do a layoff because. The bear bear market had taken into effect. There were a lot of crypto companies doing layoffs that we had to shrink our staff. We had to make sure we were going to survive for the long run. And we were kind of building a new product at that point, which was a more like full non-custodial crypto platform and not just an exchange, you know, just an easy wallet-to-wallet exchange, which is what we had before. We kind of weathered that storm. That was probably one of the hardest parts, really, for that I ever experienced in crypto and it's certainly a shapeshift, but really just in crypto, that, that 2018 bear market up until... Until basically early 2020 was quite the slog. <laughs> um, lots of people building, lots of FUD. Just was a hard thing to get through. I think fortunately we had the experience of building through bear markets before, so it wasn't. It wasn't like we didn't know there was a light at the end of the tunnel. We we obviously believed there was, but still hard while you're in it, and especially after gutting as much of our business as we did because of KYC and all those things. So fast forward to 2020, and we basically started seeing the rise of you know, DeFi and decentralized exchanges and, you know, all these crazy yields going on, all these things and started getting really interested in these phenomenons. And we basically made the decision that we were going to replace our regulated activity. So like our main regulated activity at the time was that we were the counterparty on trades of the people. We held the inventory when someone traded with Shapeshift, when they sent us Bitcoin, we sent them our Ethereum, et cetera. So our goal was to remove that regulated activity by starting to source all of our trading uh, directly through decentralized exchanges. And this was you know, kind of before it was clear that these things were big enough to handle that, but it was clear to us that they were getting big enough and that it was time to move that direction. And we kind of saw a lot of these DEXs as continuing the ethos that we started at Chimcia, you know, non-custodial, the ability to trade these things with very little friction and easily. And so we really kind of bought into that That thesis is like a continuation of our multi chain non custodial thesis. And we thought that was the right time to do that. And so, in I think it was either late 2020, early 2021, we released our first uh, DEX integration, um, originally through 0x. So, basically, all Ethereum token trades started going through there. And then in April, we announced our integration with ThorChain, right when they launched their mainnet, which basically allowed us to do cross chain trades. And at that point, no more trading went through Shapeshift directly It all went through centralized exchanges. And that was kind of the kind of last major thing we did as a company. And then a few months later, we actually announced back in summer of just last year, 2021, that we were going to actually decentralize away the entire entity and open source our software and become a DAP. And that's kind of where we are today is the company has been mostly wound down and the dao is living every day and like all the interesting development all the open source code is being built out in the open and it's really a community driven product at this point run by the shapeshift dao and that's been honestly some of the most fun i've had in crypto in my last decade it's just been watching this dao and this community build itself and grow and everything cool that's happening there on a daily basis has just been super awesome so you know that's kind of the abridged you know, story of shapeshift from my perspective and some of those epochs we went through, but yeah, it's been quite the ride, and I'm sure there's there's a lot more detail in any of those specific instances, but kind of gives a quick overview.
0: It's actually pretty funny. I had a handful of like intro questions that I wanted to ask, and you kind of nailed each one of them as you were going through that. I remember when shapeshift announced that it was going to do KYC and AML, and of course, a lot of the the blockchain industry. Kind of turn their backs on shapeshift, you know these guys are resting on their laurels they're they're changing their ideology, they don't really care about decentralization, and you know, I was in Colorado at that time, and I remember just understanding the risk that you guys were taking as the leaders of a corporate structure that could potentially be facing any potential legal issues. so I think I remember speaking with one of your employees that your user base dropped by something like 99% after you guys went KYC AML. And uh, I'm proud to say that during 2019 and 2020, I was only buying Bitcoin and Ethereum through Shapeshift, uh, storing on my Keep KeepKey. So I was one of the 1% that stayed faithful.
1: Um, <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> but I also don't blame anyone who left because, you know, honestly, they had less they had more frictionless experiences being offered by competitors that didn't require KYC that were, you know, located in other countries that weren't as worried about the regulatory situation. So like, I totally understand why I went to those users, but I also appreciate, of course, folks like you who stuck around and used Shapeshift during that time. And that was one of the great things about our our move to the DEXs and our decentralization effort is we got a lot of those people who really still love Shapeshift coming back and like, realizing that you know we were still true to our ethos. I think one of my favorites was people used to blast Eric on Twitter saying, you know, oh you just did this because you're a baker shill and you sold out and it was such a funny funny way to think about it. It's like we we literally gutted 99% of our business and people would tell us we were selling out it's like selling out to who? <laughs> like like who who is making the money here because it's certainly not us.
0: You know, and and I guess uh timing is everything, especially when when you run and own your own business and defi summer of 2020 you guys were privy you recognized what was available with these defi protocols and then you know that's when we started seeing things like yearn really t- start to take off and so we're starting to see this robust sort of comprehensive nature of various different defi protocols and i remember reading about shapeshift going towards these uh using these protocols in the back end and kind of just like giving an internal like woot like you guys made it and here we are and and you get to come full circle and like you you weathered the storm. So I think that that's one really cool part about what's happening with the decorporatization, the decentralization of the shapeshift corporate structure. But this is a series on this smart economy podcast series is on DAOs. So I want to make sure that we do cover kind of like basics from the various different subject matter experts we have. So, if you could just like tell me what a DAO is in your words and maybe the different types of DAOs, that could be a nice kind of springboard into the next portion of this conversation.
1: Yeah, happy to do that. DAOs are a very big topic and they're very hard to define, in my opinion. Like people like to throw out these like very simple, you know, on its base level, DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Well, what does that mean? It means a lot of different things in a lot of contexts, and no two DAOs are really the same, and everyone's a little bit different. I've heard some definitions that I kind of like, which is that a DAO is really just like an internet native organization. You know, it's not a legal entity, but it's it's an organization of people across the globe coming together for some purpose, you know, basically a community that forms around some sort of set of shared goals usually with some sort of shared incentives, you know, brought about by the token of the DAO. That one's a solid uh, interpretation, but I still think it's a little bit anachronistic actually, because I think we're having trouble parsing what DAOs are, even in crypto, because they're such a new concept and there's so much happening with them and they're evolving so fast and we just don't have the language for it yet. I think that a better definition of a DAO is really like, they are a community-driven and community-owned internet-based economy. So it's not just that they're an organization. They're like their own economic units. Some of them have more familiarity, like kind of being kind of like a company. Some of them are more like a club. Some of them are more like, you know, something else, like just a collective of artists that like to work and talk together. And some of them, you know, I think the best kind of broad definition is they are really like, they are economies. You know, they are economies that are that create products. They are economies that have people interact with that economy. They are economies that like the community runs basically what the monetary policy of that economy is and how it works and all these things. And we're still very early in this experimentation with DAOs. And so I think to some degree, we're all trying to figure out what they are. But the important thing is they are are ways that people around the globe in a decentralized way get together and coordinate on some sort of shared set of goals with a shared incentive. That is At its base level, I think what a what a DAO is today. And that may not be what a DAO even is a year from now, but it is basically what it is today.
0: Yeah. And that's something that I think Shapeshift is doing. That's we're talking about a trailblazing section of a trailblazing industry, you know, DAOs within cryptocurrency. But then Shapeshift is decorporatizing and it's breaking down its existing corporate model into a DAO. So while you guys are researching and learning about how to create this DAO-like entity, what were some other projects or other DAOs that you guys were pulling inspiration from or learning what to do and what not to do while you guys were kind of beginning to go down this process?
1: Yeah. When we first started looking into this idea of like, you know, should we actually decentralize a web company? What does that mean? How do we do this? You know, what are DAOs? In the industry at this point, we were mainly looking at some of these DeFi protocols um, and how they were developing. So Yearn was, was a, you already mentioned Yearn. Yearn was a great example of an early project that quickly became a DAO, still one of the strongest DAOs out there. I think other, you know, some of these lending protocols, the Aave and compounds of the world, those were definitely cool and some of our inspirations. And then just some of these other projects, you know, one of our employee uh, employees who's now our head of decentralization at the foundation, um, Willie. He was already working on this other DAO called Giveth, which was like a DAO for good, a DAO for, for actually giving for charity and finding a way to coordinate around that. So he had some ideas. we learned to learn some things from there. And really just anything we saw across the DeFi spectrum. So it wasn't like we looked at like one specific one and were like we should model ourselves off of that necessarily, as much as we saw this trend of these DeFi protocols and we saw the advantages that they had as these decentralized organizations. So yeah, those were kind of some of our main inspirations. But we also looked at like protocols themselves. I mean, really, a DAO is not that far off from an actual protocol like a Bitcoin or Ethereum. In some ways, they're that similar. The governance is a little bit more explicit, but there's more protocols that are coming in there more explicit. And you know, we've also been very interested in watching the Cosmos ecosystem for a while. Cosmos networks, even though they're built as L1s, really are kind of DAOs on chain as well. They have governance built in usually, or at least... They can have it they tend to vote on things very much like a DAO. so we kind of were watching all these things across the spectrum and they all kind of helped inform us on what we thought was possible with shapeshift and the way we wanted the way we wanted to go i also think that the dow tooling just got a lot better like if we had tried to do what we did even a year beforehand a lot of the tools that we rely on for the shapeshift DAO just wouldn't have even existed and we would have had to build a bunch ourselves and that would have made it a lot harder so we kind of came in, in my opinion, at the right time where we could we could basically go off of some of these tools that were starting to come about, you know, things like Gnosis Safes becoming much easier to use, things like Snapshot, you know, allow gasless voting so that people didn't have to feel like they had to spend money every time just to vote on governance, which would be a huge you know deterrent. All these things together just gave us kind of a roadmap of how we wanted to build this first iteration of the Shapeshift DAO and then obviously let kind of governance and the community take it from there about how to evolve it.
0: So you you mentioned Gnosis Safe and Snapshot. When you were exploring what networks to build your infrastructure on top of, you've mentioned a lot of interest in the Cosmos ecosystem, but you know maybe the majority of participants who are engaging in DAOs or DeFi's or anything that's like not buying hold of a cryptocurrency are probably more likely in the Ethereum ecosystem. So what was that kind of... Trade-off that you guys were having internally while you're having these conversations? Do we build this infrastructure on a widely used network, despite the fact that like we need uh, a snapshot? Or were you guys, you know, on the fence of whether to build this infrastructure on like newer ecosystems? Like I know Cosmos has been around for a couple of years, but in the grand scheme of things, it's still kind of new. So, what was like the thought process like on which technology to build on top of?
1: Yeah, um, so we looked at that. We, so we had actually launched the Fox token that we end up basing as the DAO's governance token um, years before. Originally, it was launched just as like a loyalty token um, that was rewarded to users for doing various actions on ShapeShift. There wasn't much of it out there. It didn't have much market you know, or anything like that, but it already existed. So we already had this Fox token built. We had already had some ideas for it in the past that we hadn't really executed on for various reasons, and we realized this was a great time to move forward with that for the ShapeShift app. So it was already existing on Ethereum as an ERC20. So I think we kind of had that path a little bit set. And also one of our goals was to really break Ethereum at one point or another, even people who may not be hugely into Ethereum today, you know, something for ETH or ETH or an ERC20 or one of these things. Ethereum Transactions in the past were not not necess- to do this on Ethereum, and also there was a huge momentum towards DAOs on Ethereum and the things they were building there and the tool sets. So all of that together, it made sense to launch at least the initial box token um, and all of our governance and our stuff on Ethereum. It just kind of had the network effect of where we're trying to go. It had a lot of our users. It had a lot of the people that were inspiring us in DeFi that we also uh, airdropped to, but also. We're shapeshift, so we're we're never we've never been tied to any one chain. We've always had this multi-chain thesis, and our idea was, yeah, even if we start with the token on Ethereum, it's totally fine if we then expand it to other chains. So our goal is that Fox Fox is already on multiple chains today. It's already been bridged to a few other ones, and we think over time that will proliferate. And the idea is Fox should be able to exist on any chain. The DAO should be able to exist on any chain that the community wants it to. So it's not like we tried to set this in motion to be tied to Ethereum as much as it was the best way to go, given all those inputs at the time.
0: And you kind of broke out a little bit through there. So I just want to reiterate, this is what I think you said, that Fox was already an ERC-20 that Shapeshift had launched years prior. And now that you'd had this token, you'd saw an opportunity and the composability was there to kind of build on top of, and you also wanted to reward early participants in the Ethereum ecosystem who also wanted to participate in uh, DAO-like modules. And so that's why you kind of just like started with the Fox token, which you already had, but it was kind of a multi-prong sort of re people for participating uh, who had already participated.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it.
0: So now you have Fox. Fox is um, what's used to vote it's what's used to to weigh your your participation, so what does the process look like for individuals who want to partake in uh, making a decision on a proposal, uh, maybe just high level uh, first before we start talking about the workflows?:
1: Yeah, so Shapeshift has a specific governance process that's been set out by the community. It's already evolved a few times, so it's always you know somewhat subject to change by governance itself but It basically starts with if someone has a proposal or an idea or something that they want to uh, get funded from the community or get alignment from the community on, they start that, you know, they might talk a little bit in our discord, you know, it's kind of where the community hangs out as a starting point, but eventually they'll, they'll post it as a form thread on our form at form.shapeshift.com. When that happens, we have what we call an incubation stage and the idea should be discussed for a minimum of three days on the form. Once that happens, and if there seems to be strong, you know, good sentiment towards it, the person can move it to what we call our ideation phase, which is kind of like a signaling section where people can basically just acknowledge, yes, I want this to move forward to a formal vote, or no, I don't. That has to be a minimum, again, of about three days, I believe. And then if it passes both those thresholds, and often it'll take a little bit longer as there's community feedback, and people want to see changes, and the author will do it or they'll discuss... Eventually, it goes to Snapshot for a formal vote. And with Snapshot, that's where the actual Fox voting happens. You basically just sign a message, a gasless transaction. And if it receives more Fox votes, you know, more yes votes than no, and it reaches uh, what we call our quorum, which is about 4 million Fox today, then it'll pass and it'll get executed, whether that's funding of a specific thing or it's a signal to the community to march a certain direction on the product or whatever it is to really be almost about anything. That's the basics of the governance process. There's a lot more to that. You know, We have a weekly governance call every week. So usually when people are going through governance, we talk about these things with the community on the call. Sometimes we'll do AMAs or you know, specific calls in the community to talk about questions about a specific proposal that is going on and let you know, the author and the community members interact and discuss. All of these kind of happen. But the core process is basically the kind of discussion on the forum in the two phases, incubation, ideation, and then the formal snapshot vote, which is when Fox voters actually Vote on it. So, all in all, the process usually takes in the range of like about two weeks from start to finish. If you try to get a proposal through quickly, sometimes it'll be longer, just depending on discussion and people going back and forth. But that's the basics of it, and it's really cool that like anyone can come and do that. And you don't even necessarily need Fox to propose something to the community. You, you know, I think you need a hundred Fox, which is you know thirty bucks or whatever at today's prices that you, in order to actually put up a proposal on Snapshot, but you can get the discussion going at any time and you can put out ideas to the community and find ways to interact, contribute that way. And it's it's just been really cool to see how we launched. Like, I think at this point, you know, we're less than a year old still. I think we're about going on about nine months this month, but we've had over 70 proposals passed by the community in that time. So it's been very active. Like there's rarely a week where there isn't something that the community is talking about and voting on. So it's just been awesome to watch during that time.
0: And what do you think is your most valuable forum for communication? Is it the Shapeshift uh, form that people go online and they make these proposals, or do you think that you find uh, more of the value is extracted from the kind of like peer-to-peer real-time messages that occur on Discord?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. I would say it's it's really a bit of both. Like the Discord is really valuable because it's kind of where the you know, and this is the case for a lot of DAOs, not just Shapeshift, but it's where the community kind of hangs out. So it's where you have that synchronous communication. Maybe you work on something. It's where the meetings happen. It's where people talk synchronously about things. But it's definitely more informal. It's kind of like you know the big DAO like office slash water cooler where people hang out and you know discuss and work on things. But that's not necessarily good for like a formal governance process. So the forum is much better for like you know getting a little more formal and you know no pun intended and Basically, going through, like, here's the explicit, you know, the specific explicits, being able to do that asynchronously, giving people time to read through an idea, respond in their own time. The form's really good for that because it keeps, you know, a thread of all the discussion on that particular topic, which can be really hard to find in Discord at times if you don't know where to look or you're not part of a specific discussion at the time. So they both serve their purpose. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say one is better than the other. They just... They're good for different things. I think, like, if you're getting new to the Shapeshift community and you just want to get up to speed on like what's happening in governance, the best way to do that is to look at the forum, look at Snapshot, and you can get a sense at a high level. But if you want to know like what's brewing, like what's coming down the pipeline that hasn't been posted on the forum, what does the community care about? Then you kind of need to hang out in the Discord and get more of a sense of what people are talking about on a daily basis, and that usually is the genesis of how things get onto the forum. So they're intimately connected, but they're they're good for different things.
0: And when I take a whenever I take a gander at what's going on in the Shapeshift DAO Discord, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, you guys didn't just uh decorporatize and slap like a DAO label on. There are actual what you guys call workflows, which are different uh areas that are being like actually developed. So you have like coders and developers, not just people who traded on Shapeshift a couple of years ago. So what are some of the, the things that are being voted on? What are some of the conversations being brought up? What are some of like, the protocols or applications or actual real world like, things that I as a user can get my hands dirty with? What are some of the things that are being funded and being proposed?
1: So yeah, let's, I'd say one of the main areas that's talked about and has been self-organized through the DAO since Genesis is this idea of work streams. And so work streams are kind of like a group that is formed to work on a specific area of the DAO. So we have, you know, a product work stream, an engineering work stream, an operations work stream, a security work stream, you know, a marketing and growth work stream, et cetera. So there's all these various work streams that have basically made a proposal to the DAO and said something along the lines of I should lead this work stream. Here's how much you should fund me. Here's You should basically elect me to be the leader of this work stream. Here's what my goals are going to be. Here's how I'm going to do it. And I will have a term of six months basically to either show you I've delivered on my goals or not. And I'm going to hire people into my work stream and gonna, we're going to work on these things together. So, like, that's one of the main ways that kind of work gets done in the DAO is you know a work stream gets elected, they go through funding cycles, the community reevaluates if they think they're hitting their goals and if they should get more funding or increase their funding or you know, cut some of their funding or whatever it is, you know, very kind of similar to like companies' budget cycles. But the difference is that there's no, you know, centralized authority saying, you know, cut this budget, do this with that budget. It's really up to the community. And these people have to kind of get elected as what we call work stream leaders in order to do anything with them. That's been awesome. It's definitely been one of the strengths of our DAO is that we have these various work streams. And then alongside that, we also have these various people that the either the, you know, governance itself might put out bounties or the work streams or other people in the community might put out bounties so we have a lot of other contributors who are contributing to work basically to the product to the community, whether even if they're not in a work stream. you know they might come in and pick up a bounty, they might live off of bounties, they might do a little bit of both you know contributing in this way to a work stream, picking up bounties over here and all of that's been working really well together to the point where like the engineering work stream this has been one of my you know things that I've been very proud of it seeing is that they cannot put out bounties fast enough before developers from the community come and just pick them up. So like if they put out 10 bounties in a week, all 10 will get done that week. And that's been incredible to watch over the last few months because that was not a foregone conclusion that we would have that much interest in our code base and this open source code and getting people up to speed contributing. So that's a big part of it. I mean, other things that happen pretty often in governance are things around the DAO treasury. What should we do with our various, uh, with, with our treasury, should we put it to work in DeFi? How do we allocate? How do we get exposure to stable coins to make sure the DAO has enough uh, you know, to last through a bear market if we get into a really bad bear market? Things like this. There's a lot of discussions around that. Tokenomics of the DAO is a big thing. There's a tokenomics work stream. All these things are all parts of governance. And then some of it's also just like signaling stuff. Like the product work stream at one point put up a governance proposal saying like, here's our current roadmap. Like, does the community like this roadmap? And you know, that gets voted on kind of as a signal forward about whether the community feels like we're going the right direction or not, or the product, at least the product work stream is going the right direction or not. So all those things kind of get wrapped into governance and all sorts of other things, you know, funding on various budgets, addendums to those proposals when something changes. Those are all pretty common across the DAO.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really just something of importance to highlight that when Shapeshift did decorporatize and decentralize, there was a working platform where trading was going on and individuals could use the Shapeshift uh, beta trading platform. So you you have this interesting concept of this already pre-existing product, and now you've taken away your corporate model and you have people volunteer or propose uh, changes and they ask for funding for that. So we're, are you seeing a lot of your former W2 employees or individuals who are picking up the ball for these particular work streams? Are you finding random anons from crypto Twitter are getting involved? Who are the types of individuals that are now contributing to Shapeshift and how has it surprised you maybe?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's The answer is really, it's kind of all of the above. Um, so Shapeshift, I think, was lucky or like we had a really good core for our DAO in that we were this company that operated for you know nearly eight years before we decentralized into a DAO. And so that didn't mean that a lot of the people that you know were incentivized to and wanted to contribute um, and, and were familiar with Shapeshift were former W2 employees and kind of helped us form like a nucleus of the DAO, a nucleus of our culture. But very quickly, we had other people join from the community who were not former W2 employees. And we've had devs join that way. We've had people on pretty much every type of work stream operations, product, et cetera, come in from the community who we, we didn't know. And they started as anons, or maybe we got to know them through Twitter, or maybe someone introduced a friend who was interested in DAOs, or like all of that kind of happened organically. So at this point, I would say it's it's about half and half, I, I probably even more less than that, actually, because I think by last... What I heard is something like we've had nearly 100 contributors, like, you know, just in the last few months that have contributed in some way and gotten paid some way. About half of those are probably on work streams. And about half of those are uh, various contributors, you know, via bounties and other parts of our ecosystem. Probably less than half at this point are former W2 ShapeShift employees. There are certainly still a good core nucleus of that. But so many people have showed up in the community. And some of our best contributors are people that, you know, I, I didn't know at all a year, you know, less than a year ago, but just kind of show up and throw their hat in the ring and say, Hey, I want to contribute. How can I help? Like every day at this point in the discord, we see people showing up being like, Hey, I'm super interested in this it's super cool. How can I help? Some of those people just say that and you never hear from them again, that that's fine. But some of those people show up and they become, you know, very regular active contributors, you know, all the time. So like a lot of people in our marketing growth work stream came from that Portion people in engineering, people in operations, and they're some of our best contributors. So it's really a mix of all those things, but like it's one of the awesome parts of a DAO is like someone can just show up and start helping. Like you don't need to apply for a job. You don't need to like give someone your resume or even necessarily tell us your real name. You either just contribute value or not. And there's pretty much opportunities for anyone, no matter what their skill set in. Certainly don't need to be an engineer, although those are always in high demand contribute. So there's just so many opportunities to do that. And we see it every day. And I think within like a year, it'll be like 80%, you know, plus, you know, our people who've come from the community and, you know, far less our former W2 employees just because of the amount of growth we'll have. So yeah, that's kind of where we are today. And it's, it's one of the coolest things about working in a DAO. And one of the things I love the most is just like, you never know who's going to show up and help. And it's just so awesome to see help come from all corners of the globe of people who just are really aligned with the mission. I mean, that's another cool thing about It's like when you hire someone at a company, there's always this dance of like, okay, well, they want this much compensation. Do they actually care about the company? Is this just a job for them? No one really shows up for a DAO as just a job. <laughs> or if they do, they, it's really not going to last long. I mean, that that was always kind of the case, even in crypto, to be honest, even as a company. But it's very different in a DAO. Like if someone's here and contributing every day... They're there because they care about it. They're there because they're actually passionate about it. They're interested in what the DAO is doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't stick around and nothing's forcing them to stick around. Like They're generally not there for other reasons. They're there because they care. So that's been really awesome to just see that and the type of people that brings.
0: Wrapping up, because I know we both have a tight deadline. Um, I think one of the last questions I want to ask you is, what is the best way to whether it's emotionally or financially or whatever, what's the best way to invest back into your DAO, into your DAO's community, so that this thing can not only survive, but thrive as well? Is it through the treasury? Is it through the GMs every morning? What is
1: it? <laughs> uh, it's funny with the GMs. I just saw a post on Twitter today, actually, that someone measured the, uh, the GMs per like Discord. And the Shapeshift DAO was like number four or something of all these ones they measured of like amount of GMs, <laughs> um, which was pretty hilarious. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think the best way to get involved and contribute is simply to... Well, well there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously, you can buy the Fox token if you're interested to be part of governance. That helps the DAO in having more interested you know, people that are token holders and voters. That's the easiest way, probably, in terms of if you just want to throw a little money at it. But more importantly, I think, is if you want to contribute or you want to get involved in the community or just see what's going on, you don't even necessarily have to know you want to contribute, but maybe you just want to learn about what's happening in the community and then see if an opportunity arises. That's how a lot of people start, I think. The best way is to simply jump into the Discord, start hanging out in the channels, check out the form, check out the snapshot and what proposals are going on. And join a call or two, you know, like we have a couple of weekly calls that are really popular that are really good ways to get it. You know, my, you know, some of my favorites are like our weekly tokenomics tokenomics call every Tuesday is always one is always really awesome and well attended. And our weekly governance call Thursday. Like if you just want to get a high level sense of what's happening in the DAO on, on like a governance level, best way is to simply join the discord, check out the forum, join our governance call, you know, spend an hour a week listening along. You get a really good sense at that point. And as you do this, you'll probably find other opportunities. You'll see people talking about things that interest you and you'll be like, hey, maybe I could help with that. Or someone brought up this idea, you know, thing and they need help on this thing or they need someone to write something or they need someone to go talk to someone else about partnerships. Like this is something I could do. Like you will naturally find opportunities if you just kind of jump in and start being part of the community that way. And I've, I've yet to see someone who like didn't have something to offer if they actually wanted to contribute. Almost everybody does. It's just a matter of, of getting a feel for the community and figuring out what the right way to go is for you.
0: Awesome. And uh, one last question. This is kind of a broad catch-all, but what does the smart economy mean to you? I've asked this question to many people and there's never been the same answer. So what does smart economy mean to you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I don't know if I've ever thought about that term that way. But the smart economy, I think a smart economy is one that is ultimately... Is hopefully the types of economies we're building in crypto, ones that are not fundamentally governing, controlled, that are global, that are community run and community owned, and that hopefully benefit the people that are actually part of that economy. You know, they shouldn't just benefit a few people. They should benefit anyone who's part of that economy. And they should do so productively with as little friction as possible, preferably among voluntary, you know, association and individuals who want to be part of it voluntarily. In a peaceful fashion like that's ultimately what's probably the smartest economy and in some ways that's basically just a free market economy so it's not that different from that but like DAOs and crypto and centralization and the internet itself give us the ability to build new types of economies that couldn't have existed before um with far less friction and far more inclusiveness with from the global population no matter where you live as long as you've got an internet connection so To me, that's at least where the economies are going. And I guess what I would call a smart economy.
0: John, thank you so much for, uh, A, creating Shapeshift alongside the co-founders, for opening the rabbit hole for me, for sharing your time today, for all the great times we've gotten to hang out in person. It was really uh, an honor to be able to to bring you on to the Smart Economy podcast and to be able to share... The really cool work that you guys have been doing with the Shapeshift DAO. I really appreciate the time.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Dylan.
0: Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was really interesting to hear about the rich and storied history that Shapeshift has in blockchain space. And as communication is an important aspect of governance... It was great to hear more about the process for how the Shapeshift community discusses proposals and votes on them. Lastly, I found it fascinating to hear more about the contributors to the Shapeshift DAO and to learn that they're not all former W2 employees, but also new individuals from across the internet. With that, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, Please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO council member as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and we look forward to catching you next time.